From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. All experts agree this is going to get worse. The NHS will not be able to cope and more people will die. This is the most aggressive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. 1,564 people have died on a single day. The UK has one of the highest COVID death rates. But we now have a new variant. 1,700 students have been told to self-isolate in their rooms on campus. If you don't follow the rules, the police will have the power. Issued almost £40,000. You don't know who to trust. Biggest vaccination programme in our history. Other age groups are encouraged to come forward for their jabs. Conspiracy theories exploit a lack of trust in the government. Religion, respect and understanding. One thing the last few years have shown us is that our society is deeply divided. Since the rollout of the COVID vaccine, public health and NHS professionals have tried to gain the support of religious institutions and communities to help encourage vaccine uptake. Churches, synagogues, temples and mosques have been used as makeshift vaccination centres, while pastors, rabbis, imams and other faith leaders have helped share the benefits and bust the myths about the vaccine. With uh, Muslims or South Asians, it can be whether there's alcohol in the vaccine, whether there's any animal ingredients in the vaccine, specifically pork products, which is of interest to the Muslim community. COVID hesitancy also extends to ultra-Orthodox Jewish communities. Again, over fears the vaccine contains pork. It's thought religious leaders can be effective in influencing the Bain community through their congregations. That view chimes with the thoughts of one doctor with experience of vaccine hesitancy. The Nisdian Temple School is now a public vaccination centre. But with government distrust growing and misinformation taking hold, vaccine hesitancy has been higher in some communities. And although some of the efforts by faith leaders have been successful in tackling these myths, is there still a tendency for some religious communities to be distrustful of science? Is this an issue with younger people too? Or is there a generational divide that has prevented some of us from getting the vaccine just to keep the peace at home? That's a lot to get our heads around, I know. But thankfully, I've got a couple of guests who are gonna be helping me out. So let's get into it on another episode of Who Cares About COVID with me, Crispy Lou. In this episode, we've got Andrew and Laura joining us to talk about this topic. Can you both introduce yourselves, your handles and your TikTok niches? Hi, I'm Laura. My username is Stop Talking I'm Tired. I do a lot of political education. So I do everything from rating the country's worst MPs through to political scandals, stuff that's on the GCC curriculum and stuff that they don't put on the GCC curriculum. I also do a little bit about my work as well because... In the arts has definitely been something that's been really affected by having a conservative government over the last 10 years. So working in the arts is definitely part of my political stance, if nothing else. You, Andrew? Hi, I'm Andrew. My handle on TikTok is Andrew Allah, but there's a dot after the A. My handle changes all the time. Most people would probably recognise me as Andrew the African Kid, but I'm kind of, I don't know, I like, I like to switch it up. I like to keep people on their toes. But my kind of niche, I guess, is kind of all things that 
correspond to the black community in a sense. I started off doing a lot of education on black history, socio-political issues within the black community, focusing a lot on like African politics, African history and all that stuff, partly because it's something I'm interested in. I think it's something that a lot of black people don't actually know. Like we don't know a lot of our own history. We don't know a lot about what's going on in our own continent. So I kind of thought, well, I can bring that to people in my own kind of way. But now it's kind of, it's more varied. I talk a lot about my, my faith, my life as a uni student. So it kind of goes all over, all over the shop. Right. So the theme of today's episode is religion, respect and understanding. So let's start off by finding out if either of you identify with a faith and practice it in your daily lives. Cool. I'm a Pentecostal Christian. I mean, I even have church after this recording. So <laughs> I was born and raised in the church. And for some people who are like, I guess like me, who are like born Christians, like in their family and stuff, they don't relate as much. But I'm kind of at a stage now where I'm taking my religion and my faith more seriously and kind of working on it for myself, um, which I think everyone kind of has to do at some stage. It's really cool. Yeah, that's that's me. I come from a mixed faith background. So my mum's family is Irish, Scottish, Catholic. My dad's family is Jewish. I identify a little bit with both those faiths, but I spent a lot more time with the Jewish community than I have with the Catholic community. And within Judaism, the whole point is to question your faith in God. The idea is that you don't like wholeheartedly believe you are meant to explore the possibility that there is a God, there might not be a God, maybe there is a god it's also because it's an ethno religion so there are people who are ethnically jewish but don't practice the faith so you get a sort of a wide variety of jews and i would describe myself as an agnostic jew because judaism is a ethno religion you do get a full spectrum of people and people who just come to synagogue for the community because a huge part of religion i don't know what it's like in your religion andrew but with us it's the community of the people not even just the faith. I think there's a similarity in with like Christianity in the sense that whilst everyone believes in God in one way, shape or form, because like Christianity and all the denominations and there's kind of different theories and stuff, I think the whole sense of community is very, very key. I grew up in the same church from when I was about seven, eight years old up until now. So the people I went to church with are basically family. I saw them week in, week out. I grew up with them. So that sense of community is very much the same for us. Also, I thought it would be worth mentioning sort of my faith background while we're here. I was raised Catholic, sort of Irish Catholic on my dad's side, I reckon. So, and that's super interesting in the ways you're talking about community because I no longer identify with Catholicism in terms of like my own life it, it just like didn't really flow with the way I wanted to live my life but I have always valued that sense of community that the church the catholic church provides for like see my mum who still goes it's still a great source of community and one that I think we can struggle to replicate in yeah these for-profit spaces I don't know how often it is that you can go and exist somewhere and have a chat and everyone hangs out and there's no pressure to be to be buying or selling anything and it's just a place for you to connect with your local community so I'd be really interested to know how both of you ever deal with something you disagree with in your own faith groups and how you manage that individually. I think for me one thing that kind of allows me to deal with any disagreements I may have 
is the fact that I don't believe that like as humans, we can fully understand God's plan as like, as a Christian, I don't think my job is to understand everything God has said, because I'm a human. I believe that God made the world. So it's never going to be enough to kind of challenge God. So if I disagree with something, I kind of have to be like, okay, I disagree with it. But if God has said it, there's a reason for it. So I'm going to accept it for what it is. But then also, as I got older, and I began to study the Bible more. And like my youth leader was very young and very like um, similar minded to the rest of us. And one thing he always stressed was that when you're reading the Bible, read it in context. It will make so much more sense when you don't just read isolated verses and then you get an outcome that seems a bit off. You need to read it in context, understand what the authors of that particular book were saying and, and understand it that way. Um, so I think there's there's a mix of some things you're just not going to understand and that's fine. You don't have to understand everything. I think as humans, we are very curious and we want to know everything. I think part of it is just letting go of that and allowing God to do God. And then another part of it is whilst allowing God to be God, understand the Bible in its context and understand it for its meaning as best you can. And then it will begin to make more sense. Yeah. And do you ever make that distinction between this is God and this is the holy word Mm. and this is the human people that are involved in my faith group how do you manage that distinction because if in your belief system you believe like this is the written word of God I I pray I place my faith in it wholeheartedly how do you also manage the distinction between being this is a human being and they are potentially fallible sometimes and like how much should I trust every individual in my faith group, perhaps? I think for me, I was always raised to understand that you need to read the Bible for yourself. A lot of Christians and people in general just don't read the Bible and we go off what other people are telling us, which is a very, very big mistake because people are fallible. People make mistakes. So when someone says something, like in Christianity, we call it the spirit of discernment. And it's where you kind of have to have your your spirit kind of needs to be aware that sometimes somebody will say something and it's not in line with what God has said. And the only way to really confirm that is to spend time in his word, because a belief that I hold and a belief that a lot of Christians hold is that God is the word. The word of God doesn't lie. It doesn't change. It's like that's the that's a true source of God. So if someone says something and then you you just take it for what they've said you need to stop doing that. Essentially, you need to look up, look back at the word of God, understand the word of God in context, understand how that applies to each and every situation. And that will kind of help you to filter through when someone's just talking rubbish or when someone is making sense. Yeah. Similarly, Laura, how, how do you make that distinction? If you think about how much your religion has changed over the years anyway, it's about the part of that change you want to be. Of like, so the same thing that applied in the 16th century is not going to apply in the 14th century, 12th century, so on and so forth. So it's about what applies now and what changes to the way we work are we going to foresee. Like, so my synagogue is very into uh, fundraising and talking about politics and stuff like that. So like... (laughs) hate to bring it up but Israel and Palestine so we get a lot of absolute heat about the Israel and Palestine situation and I would argue at least in the UK most modern Jews in the UK are on the side of Palestine we've done a lot of fundraising with my synagogue for Palestine we've done a lot of interfaith talks because Israel and Palestine is probably arguably one of the biggest 
problems facing either of our communities at the moment. Obviously, far worse on the Palestine side and the Muslim side than it is on the Jewish and, and side. But there's this idea that like all Jews wholeheartedly should support Israel, and like there's quite a lot of people who seem to believe that that's what we believe, which anyone who's read anything into their history I mean like I know what happened to my family in Poland in Nazi occupation of Poland if you're going to talk about that and you're going to talk about how awful that was to happen to our community and that how that was essentially ethnic cleansing that's essentially what Israel is trying to do so why the on earth would we be supporting that like that's absolutely insane to me so it is about like you know there are bad people in all groups of society there are bad people in all religious groups so why would you want to follow their trend you want to make your own path and your own acknowledgement of the further of the faith you know yeah and sort of separating perhaps the political that people will say this is intrinsically religious and being like I am an individual thinker I can interpret my holy word the way that I see fit which sort of ties into what we're going to be talking about today which is like did you ever come across any of those fears or misconceptions about covid or the vaccine in your faith communities that perhaps you agreed or disagreed with or that were mixed into your religion so from my experience it was a mixed bag it was a very mixed bag in my church my pastor was very much like everybody take the vaccine this vaccine is from god is the only thing that's going to get us out of this mess hurry up and book your appointment now, which was great. It was lovely. <laughs> but not everyone was like that. And I think the intertwining of religion and culture came in quite a lot because the religious side of it, whilst there were some pastors who were very anti-vaccine, a lot of them were pastors who were from like an African background. And I think a lot of their fears were rooted less in faith but more in the history of what vaccines have been like for uh, people of African descent. And they had very valid reasons to be concerned about what the vaccine meant for us. And what I saw happening was people using the Bible to then justify those fears and justify the misconceptions that they had. And there's a part in the Bible in the book of Revelations, I think it's chapter 13, think but anyway it talks about the mark of the beast and how um if there's like there's gonna come a day where like they start handing out this mark of the beast when you get the mark of the beast like you're done you're finished and people started equating the vaccine to the mark of the beast and then that kind of spread throughout the christian community to a degree um but i think in general it was very much a mixed bag and there were quite a lot of pastors who were like guys come on now if you guys want to come back to church like get your vaccine and everyone wanted to go back to church. So <laughs> I think we're, we're at a point now where most people are vaccinated. I mean, exactly. Laura, what about yourself? I think the big problem we had was it, it coincided quite nastily with a huge rise in anti-Semitism. So this last financial year that's just gone, there was a 37% increase in reports of anti-Semitic incidents. So there was a lot of like fear-mongering amongst the older community of probably in a similar way I suppose towards the way a lot of black people feel about medical racism there was a lot of like are they doing this to control us are they going to be giving us the same quality of products have they actually bothered to do the research into whether this is kosher or not when you come from like a minority grouping where you have like a specific diet or a specific request for something 
they kind of a lot of the time feel like one size fits all and that definitely isn't the case it's like afterwards when they had administered all the vaccines they realized that there were some vaccines that were doing better in older people than they were in younger people and so on and so forth like the actual science behind Mm. it unfortunately and all the scaremongering by the media as well unfortunately coincided quite poorly with a lot of fears that people already had because i don't know uh, if christianity has this but in our holy book which is the torah we have like basically a, a get out of jail free card clause okay which basically says that human life and the protection of human life comes above everything else so there was a huge conversation literally about a month into the vaccine rollout of yes it might not be kosher but god says if you if it's going to affect your life and potentially kill you then you have to take it anyway because the whole point is your life human life is above everything else the rejection of it so there are only a few people who really sort of managed to jump on that i'm not taking it because it's not kosher bandwagon a lot of people were like well it doesn't really matter what matters is you staying alive you know but i think i think you guys have brought up some brilliant points which I really want to flag because Mm. as someone who's no longer religious I remember hearing from some of my similarly not I wouldn't call them friends but a religious people on on tv or whatever being like somewhat villainizing groups that weren't taking it without giving them a fair shake as to why they were potentially more hesitant which is if you're a member of a minority group that is often in some ways being maligned unfairly or in some way suppressed or oppressed you are with good reason somewhat more distrustful of the government of the state you have (laughs) throughout history plenty of reasons to have felt that way and so it is worth taking extra measures to be like hey look even if you definitely feel like this government has not done anything for you kind of trying to tease that apart and being like but the NHS, hopefully, you will believe, has given you a better shake of things. And if they haven't, in this one instance, I, th- I think they will. Like, I think this one thing is different than everybody else. And having that conversation of being like, there are genuine legitimate reasons why this distrust would be here. And let's talk about it. When the vaccine first came out, I wasn't sold on it at all. I was not sold on it. I didn't know many black people who were sold on it. And it definitely took us a while to kind of sit down and say, this is what's happened in the past. And this is, you know, definitely like medical racism and, and how vaccines particularly have um, been used against black people. There's, there was a case in Nigeria, I think it was a polio vaccine, where a good couple of thousand kids were killed. And so the fears are still very, 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 very much resonant in our community. And I feel like there was a even from the government's point of view, a kind of an agenda to make us out as the anti-vax people who are slowing down the progress of the vaccine without taking into consideration the fact that well, we have a lot more to consider than everyone else. We have a lot more trust that you have to gain our trust before we can just hop on your uh, get vaccine and, and save the world. It, it really wasn't that simple. There was no work put in either to earn that trust. At all. 
there was very little talk of, of the black community at all when we when we when there was conversations about mm. vaccines there was conversations about elderly people being hesitant there was conversations of i mean i remember i remember being absolutely ribbed on as like young people under 25 we were like the worst vaccinated group and blah 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 mm. when actually to be honest we were also the last group offered the vaccine which is a huge part of it exactly. they did it obviously like older people downwards mm. so they were absolutely ragging on young people for getting the not getting the vaccine and i remember at the time being like i haven't actually been offered it yet like, I'd love to have a vaccine, but I haven't actually been offered it yet, Boris. So, like, what do you want me to do? And also, does your messaging include me? This messaging, as far as I've heard for a few months, has been about mm. how it's crucial for older people. I'm not mm-hmm. an old person, so explain to me why it would be a good thing, at the very least. And then don't just malign mm. me and tell me I'm being terrible for society. You know, explain yeah. this to me. There was no effort mm. into explain if there had been and what it was if there had been any efforts to stop medical racism like there was no evidence proof of this is what we've done to change and that there was they definitely weren't talking about it at the time which is just incredibly frustrating because you then can't blame a whole group of people or whole groups of people for not not bothering to get the vaccine inverted commas when actually you've not really advertised them you've not really explained Mm. to them why it's useful or why they need to get it. Although I do remember there were a number of, in different regards, faith leaders on one hand and also um, like prominent members of the medical community of different cultures that were saying like, we are, for example, South Asian doctors for the vaccine. And they were trying, but it felt very much like a, a grassroots thing or a smaller thing perhaps of people really being like, you know, it's great and I'll explain it to you rather than like a cohesive effort that was like, everyone is important and everyone matters and we will explain it to different groups in different ways. I mean, did you feel like the distrust was greater among the younger generations or the older generations? Did you feel like there were any distinctions in that sense? I didn't really notice much of a difference in terms of the distrust between um, age groups. I feel like, I'm not sure. I feel like, what do you call it? With my grandma in particular, it was like everyone forced her to get the vaccine. She likes to go out. She likes to go out a lot. So everyone was like... but (laughs) but yeah the difference i noticed was it was definitely more like an ethnic different communities in terms of race rather than age i think it was just a thing where especially when they tried to bring in community leaders leaders in healthcare who are black they tried to bring them to the forefront to kind of get us on side that kind of turned people off a bit more because we also have this kind of history is particularly in the black community where there are people who have been paid off to sell us lies in the past. And so people are like, well, you brought this black doctor, but how do, how do we know? How It kind of added to this whole, like, the suspicious aspect of it. And I think it just, it took us a bit longer to kind of sit down and say, do you know what? It's not that bad. I think it was also partly a thing, even for me, it was a thing where if I let other people take it first and I just give them like a month or two, see if they're still functioning, then I'll get mine. But yeah, that that was yeah. that was what I noticed. What was that turning point though? Because you are vaccinated, aren't you? Mm, yes, so what was that turning point of being like, this feels insincere. I don't really trust this. I don't trust what's going on. What was that turning point for you personally and in your community that you were like, but I'm gonna do it? Do you know what? I, I've never really taken the government to be sincere about anything. So it was there was never really a turning point in their messaging that worked for me. It was more the fact that I just wanted to enjoy my life. I wanted to go out and... But I what made of, you 
So did you begin to trust the science or did you just think, I'm going to have to do this because the rules tell me to? It was more the fact that these are the rules about how life is now. And since the rules are so stringent and they're stringent for everybody, then the science can't be that bad. It was more the rules that brought me over to the side of take the vaccine rather than trusting what I was being told. But I kind of felt like, okay, these rules have been enforced. They must be enforced for a reason. And everyone's taking the same vaccine as far as, far as I'm aware. With time, it was like anti-vax stance that a lot of people in my community have. It's not getting anybody anywhere. We're just stopping our own lives from moving forward. And it was more other people taking the vaccine that I know rather than the government telling me to do it. Yeah. I mean, have you guys at any point for yourselves made any distinction between the government and the NHS and the science? Because I know I know for me, I was like, I don't love this government. I mean, between us three, <laughs> I was like, you know, I don't actually think this government is actually doing the best job. Really? You didn't? How strange. But I, from the start, was like, these scientists seem to know what they're doing. I don't know if I trust all of them. They're kind of this faceless organisation. But I was like, I do trust my GP. Mm. And I do trust the NHS. Like, you know, I if I ever have any health scares or anything, I do place, and this is probably wrong point of privilege, you guys can tell me. But if I go to the doctors, I do trust when they tell me this thing is wrong. I don't tend to second guess that. And so that to me was why, for me at least, it became sort of an easy decision because it was like, while I think this government is <laughs> not great, I mean, you don't want to be top 10 in a pandemic, I'll tell you that for sure. I was like, my local doctor is telling me this is good, so so stick it in me, Susan. But did you guys ever make that distinction or have felt like that distinction was made in your communities? Because I know some people still to this day are like, I don't trust Boris Johnson, I'm not going to get the vaccine. Yeah, And I've tried to sort of tease that apart a bit and be like, he is not clever enough to have made the vaccine, ladies and gentlemen. It was a thing where I kind of felt like I trusted the NHS. I, I trust healthcare professionals. It was Boris's involvement and the fact that the whole vaccine uptake was so heavily politicised that kind of made them pushing it out kind of seem like, we are statistics in their agenda just to meet their quota sort of thing. It may be if the NHS just had run their own campaign and Boris kind of took himself out of it, there wouldn't have been such distrust because I think most people, most people I know, black, white, Asian, whoever, most people trust their local GP, their doctors. That's a fairly trustworthy group of people. But Boris's involvement and the politicization of everyone trying to get everyone to get the vaccines we have the fastest vaccine rollout in europe blah 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 blah. blah. like we're racing all these other countries it kind of just felt like he was promoting it for his own gain rather than he was promoting it for the benefit of the health of the country so maybe if you know maybe if boris wasn't wasn't as involved there wouldn't have been such a high level of distrust yeah if, if perhaps it felt less like we are uh statistics to make you feel good about yourself you know like exactly there's been 50,000 vaccines today you're like I don't want to think about that like that's not a positive for me in the way it is for you if it had been more apolitical and it's like this is the healthiest thing you can do because it means if you were to get COVID your heart's healthier your lungs are healthier 
if it was presented like that, mm. then it would have gone down better. It's exactly. also like it felt very like strangely patriotic. Oh, we're gonna beat Europe and we're gonna be the best. And, and it's like, well, it's not a sport. Like we're not. Like we also have the highest death toll in Europe. You know, it's not a game, and it felt very much like a game to them. And if you can afford, because Boris Johnson, Jacob Rees-Mogg, all those kind of people can afford privatized healthcare. Like they don't need the NHS. They've never needed the NHS the same way the rest of us have. So it just felt like it was like fun and games to them. And it was like, this is deadly serious. Something else that really kind of like put me off a little bit was the vaccination clinics had like, a lot of them had like Union Jacks everywhere and were all mm. like, you know, like, look how amazing the UK is and aren't we wonderful for having a look. It was just a really, it was like a really mm. strange thing to be patriotic about. It's like, oh, we need a really fast vaccine rollout, Boris, because you keep not protecting us and we have the highest death rate in Europe. Like, Mate, that's why we need to have this such fierce vaccine campaign. It's because you've done next to nothing before this point. How did you feel then when they went the opposite direction and they put vaccine centres inside places of worship? They were like, we need to improve uh, vaccine uptake in our community if we ever want to go back to worshipping in person again. And they put those centres inside places of worship. How did that feel mm. for you? How did that come across? It felt kind of insincere. I don't know how you felt, uh, Andrew, but like it, 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 it was strange because in our case, like we went to our local council and were like, mm. "Can we please do something about this? Like, can we help you by like just using the building space or like the people or whatever?" But some of it just felt like a a very political move. Mm. Yeah, I think it was it was the same for us in the sense that like when we saw that because my church wasn't used for a vaccine centre, I'm pretty sure. But when we saw other churches being used, it was a bit like, mm, you guys are really trying to sell this. You guys are trying to sell this hard, like real hard. And we, it, there was a kind of an element of, well, it makes, it kind of worked, I guess, because it made some some Christians feel like, yeah, we're doing our part. We're, we're, we're doing what we can to, to kind of help everyone out. So you couldn't like fault certain people for, or for certain churches for opening up their doors. I mean, it just felt a bit insincere sometimes. I think maybe what it was, was on the part of the churches that chose to get involved, we kind of understood their reasons for doing it. But then again, it just felt like this was another tactic from the government to say, look, we need to get this vaccine in these people's faces and we're going to do it with by any means possible. So I feel like it just kind of added to the whole the whole idea that their motives behind putting the vaccines in certain places was just political yeah. so do you guys have any ideas this is a major question you'd be answering so no pressure but do you have any ideas on how to go about having public health be more trusted right like mm -hmm. i mean who who cares about political governments it seems like we've all come across to the same point which is that like something like this shouldn't even have been politicized in the first place but how would we get i mean i think Hopefully we all believe that the vaccine ended up being net positive. Like I have not grown a tail. <laughs> I have been kept very safe and healthy and so have my family members when they've caught COVID. It's tended to be a pretty great thing. How how would we even get to a point where our communities are more trusting of public health? I think the the main thing is is separating out in your mind what the NHS means compared to what the government means and the government needs to just kind of like a fund the NHS better but b kind of let them get on with their jobs a little bit there was a lot of community spirit already but at the beginning of the pandemic 
for the NHS. And as soon as the government started that whole let's all go clap on our doorsteps stuff, it just didn't <laughs> land the way that they think it did. So what they basically need to do is put their faith into the NHS and just mm. sort of let them get on with it because I think they they overly politicise it because they know how people in the UK feel about the NHS. I don't know how much you know about the history of the NHS, but without the NHS, I wouldn't be here. Like My grandma had TB the year the NHS was rolled out and her parents couldn't afford uh, medication otherwise and she probably would have died of TB. Her dad had died like the previous year of TB. And the NHS was actually founded from the railway stations. So like the railways had its own privately funded version of the nhs for all of its workforce and that created the basis of the modern day nhs um so a lot of people in the uk feel really strongly about this institution that has been part of our lives i mean the vast majority of us have been born under the flag of the nhs we've had all of our medical operations as medication you know you have the opportunity to go to the doctor at any point you should need to because of the nhs people feel really passionately about it and therefore are really protective over it and don't mm. want the government using it as like a little like like feather in their cap kind of moment that's not what it's about it's there's a lot more natural community feel and and support for the nhs mm -hmm. without the government sticking their oar i in. think the whole lack of trust in the government isn't going to go away anytime soon especially when we have people like boris around no one's really going to trust what they tell us so i think in order to kind of put trust back in public health they just need to stay out of it they need to stay out of it, fund it, but stay out of it. Because like Laura was saying, it's definitely a point of pride. I mean, every time we argue with Americans, the NHS comes up every single time. It's one of the best things that we have. So there's no hatred for the NHS. There's no distrust for them. It's just the fact that politicians use it as like as a tool to kind of put forward their agenda, make themselves seem better than they are and i think if we just kind of take the politics out of public health it will just allow public health to be a bit more widely accepted and it's also about like the socioeconomic engagement with medical professionals as well that's a lot of words i will explain mm. what i mean so medical fat phobia is a real thing as well of like i work a manual labor job i lift things for a living in more ways than one incredibly fit and healthy but because i am a fat person the second i walk into a doctor's surgery some doctors will just be like oh it's clearly your weight oh we need to like weigh you blah blah, blah. so it's about the socioeconomics and how those interact with medical professionals of like you don't know everything about my life you've not even asked me a single question before you decided that this this problem because i'm fat it's wild fat people survive heart attacks mm. at a lesser rate than thin people not because they have more heart attacks but because they are not taken out seriously when they have them so it's like it's great that they know how to fix a leg it's great that they know how to do that but how do they know how to interact with their patients and like mm. the same way i'm sure with the, with the black community as well like there's a lot of old not even old, but like doctors who've been trained in a certain way to deal with patients a certain way. And then there's certain communities that, that just won't work with. The same way you wouldn't treat like a pensioner, the same way you treat like a six-year-old. Like you have to think about the more, the even more diverse socioeconomic aspects of healthcare. No, I agree actually. I think there's, there's something to be said for diversifying public health in general, because like growing up, I think I had like I think I've had two GPs, but one of them was Nigerian. So just off the back of that alone, 
the way that we could relate to each other and the way that she would speak to me and speak to my mom and kind of explain certain things to us. We were all speaking English, but she was speaking our language in a way that just your regular white man doctor wouldn't be able yeah. to. And that's not to say that, oh, we only want black doctors. We only want doctors that look like us and speak like us. But you can't deny that there's an element of relatability that kind of just helps trusting the process. Yeah. You feel seen like as a person, an individual, and like your questions are answered. Definitely, definitely. One thousand percent, yeah. Your your specific concerns that relate to you as a black person are always soon addressed a lot quicker, especially with something like sickle cell. I mean, that's a whole other discussion. But they're addressed a lot quicker when you have a doctor that comes from your background. So I think diversifying public health to kind of meet the needs of a growing diverse population definitely will help it become more trustworthy yeah looking to the to the future now a little bit how do you feel if in any way your faiths are gonna kind of like help with vaccine uptake or otherwise aid in like public health so i've got this great quote by jim mcmanus who's the director of public health in hertfordshire we love jim yes he said (laughs) basically like that using this teaching from the Bible, which is John 10, 10, you know, when Jesus says, I've come that everyone might have life and have it in all its fullness. Mm -hmm. He felt that the reason he did his job was because of his faith, right? Like doing my job is living out my faith commitment because he's helping his community, right? And it's like, Mm -hmm. it was almost a manifesto for public health. So how do you feel in any ways that like, your faith communities are gonna are gonna be the ones like building back uh Britain in any way or like mm. really like leading the charge of being like we are gonna get back to full health like socially, physically, spiritually. How do you guys interpret that? I think from like from the Christian perspective, similar to what Jim said, there's a general idea that as Christians first and foremost, we're supposed to be of help to everyone. There's a phrase in the Bible, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And what that kind of means is, whilst we are Christians and we follow our faith and we have our own faith, we are still very much present in the world with everybody else who isn't a Christian. And our job whilst we are in this world is to be a light and be a kind of a representation of Christ in the best way possible. And Different people have different interpretations of what that means, but the way I understand it is to is through acts of service, through um, kind of looking out and showing love by doing things that are in the interest of everyone and kind of working towards people's general benefits, um, whether that's health-wise, financially, whatever way helping people manifest itself. And so I think in terms of public health, there is generally a kind of push for Christians to take a bit more of like, an active role in kind of helping with public health and helping with how people have access to health. I know that there there are loads of charities um, that like my church donates to and other churches donate to that kind of, they focus on um, giving people who don't have access to healthcare, access to healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. And I think now we're kind of, especially in my community, we're getting to a point where prayer is great, but there needs to be practicality behind your prayer. Like there's in the Bible, it says faith without works is dead. So cool. We, we pray for everyone. That's great. But there's definitely a shift towards, okay, what can we do practically to help, to help people out? And I think in that sense, the church will definitely play a role of kind of helping restore society's health. 
I know, like, uh, other religions have this as well, but um, we, because I, I was talking to one of my friends who's Muslim, um, talking about how, like, charity is a huge part of the faith. And there's, like, a verse in the Torah that, like, roughly translates to, if you see your friend's sheep or your ox straying, you don't sit back, you go and help. And um, that, like, relates a lot to, like, the charity and stuff as well, of, like, there is no point, sit, like, sitting and praying is great and, like, asking God for help is great, but also you are a child of God and therefore it is your responsibility to be doing God's work as well, of, like, you can't sit and watch somebody else struggle and watch somebody else, like, you know, need your help and not give it. So there's definitely a huge wave towards that of, like, in, in lots of religions, not even just mine, like, to move towards assistance rather than just prayer of like I mean that quote from the bible that you just quoted is amazing about like prayer without uh, doing anything is yeah faith without works is dead yeah really really good yeah you I really enjoyed that you can't just like I mean prayer's, prayer's great but you gotta you can't just sit down praying just go and sit on your bed doesn't really doesn't really work like that yeah you have to commit yourself to the improvement of what you're praying on which is wonderful and kind of leads me to the question of the episode like the big question as we're calling it which is can the division between science and someone's faith be resolved and how important is it for both sides to work together to help the vaccine efforts in our post-pandemic world i think especially with christianity there's a there's this huge idea that like christianity and science are polar opposites and that Every Christian looks at science like, oh, this is this is this is not in line with what we believe at all. Like we don't we don't we don't want science. <laughs> I think that's partly um, an American thing, and it's kind of like seeped into the rest of the world. But I think um, the difference and the the contrast between Christianity and science isn't that deep. I think what we're kind of getting to a point we're getting to a point where there are lots of people who are using science to kind of advocate for for god if that makes sense so we kind of instead of saying science is contrary to god science explains god if that makes sense or like god uses science and i think when we kind of continue pushing that kind of narrative the bashing of heads between like christianity and science will eventually disappear and i think the vaccine rollout kind of helped with that because like i said when the vaccines came out my pastor was very much like listen i've got my vaccine y'all get yours too everybody hop on it like this is a gift from god and i think when that kind of narrative starts to get pushed the whole idea that science and religion are contrary will begin to fade i think there are parts of science that are never going to agree with parts of faith like just simple things like creation theory and evolution theory like some christians are just never going to buy into that ever and that's fine but when it comes to things like the public health front and the things that are if, affecting us on a day-to-day basis in our real life i think when people start moving towards the idea of okay science is science that's great but science can also be used like god can use science and when that that narrative comes forward, there will definitely be less collision between the two. That was said in such a lovely way, Andrew. I'm so optimistic about the future. <laughs> but it's it's also like, sorry, to this is not going to be anywhere near as poetic, I assure you. But it's like, because obviously the, the Bible and the Torah, we share quite a lot of texts as well. And there's that story in terms of like Adam and Eve of like, 
the Lord gave the Garden of Eden and said, look after it. Mm. It's also that as well of like, if you're going to believe that we're all children of God and we're all creations of God, then you also have to believe that the people whose talents are in science are also a gift given from God as well. Of like, they are here to help. Um, so it's, it's the human element of it as well. Like, yeah. That was said amazingly as well, Laura. Look at us being poetic. This is, I mean, I think it's very handy that the holy books were written in such a time where such amazing word was written because mm. gifts from God, like mm. faith without works is dead. Like this mm. is a banger of an episode in terms of historical quotes. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there then. That was wonderful, guys. Do you want to plug where people can find you, where you'll be talking about things, where if they've listened by this far now, it should absolutely be checking you out, your handles. Do your plugs, guys. <laughs> uh, I am literally only really on TikTok. Um, my handle, as I said at the beginning of the episode, is <laughs> Stop Talking, I'm Tired. Come learn some politics, but in like a fun way. Or just listen to me rant and rave about random things. I do a bit of both. I do some educational content and some look what mm. on earth has happened here kind of content. But yeah, come share some knowledge. Come learn some things. Come teach me some things. And do you know the best thing about this whole like podcasting and the different varieties of people is that I've followed so many different people as well. You get more mm. of a opening your world up to other people's ideas and opinions and stuff like that it's been really really interesting mm -hmm. come teach me as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah my handles are andrew ola 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 but there's a dot after the a i would I i'm not going to change my username for a while i think i'm going to stick with this one but <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> um, in terms of in terms of what i talk about it's literally anything and everything and there's something going on like i'm a uni student so if you need someone to rant about uni with though i have i've got you i've got you covered um i 100 percent, 100 um and like laura was saying like come and teach me stuff as well because one thing i've noticed about myself throughout this whole kind of like kind of like two years now of like doing tiktok and stuff is i have learned so much a lot of the views i went into tiktok with i don't have anymore and um it's definitely become a place where everyone kind of learns a bit about something and uh, we're all kind of like navigating this world together so if you want to do that come and join me it's cool thank you for putting up with us andrea <laughs> Brilliant. Well, let's wrap up there then perfect thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you for having us and hopefully we'll all see each other soon Whew. wasn't that a great conversation that went places i didn't expect also i think it's so rare nowadays for young people to talk in depth about religion i feel like it's something that we keep to ourselves more personally. I think at least on my own TikTok, I don't actually know if I've ever mentioned anywhere that I'm still in some way spiritual, but this was very refreshing in that respect. Truly can't even place a value on that, so. And thanks for joining me, Crispy Lucia, in today's religion, respect, and understanding episode. You can find me at Crispy Lucia on all platforms. To have your say on today's topic, find out more about COVID and book your vaccination if you still haven't yet. If our conversation hasn't yet convinced you, well, check out the links in the description on whocaresaboutcovid.com. Catch us next time on Who Cares About Covid when we'll be talking about racism and rebuilding trust. I'm Crispy Lou and I still care about Covid. Do you? Brought to you by Well and Hatfield Council, produced by Milky Films and Redwood Studios. 
And just to make it super clear, the views expressed in this podcast are those of the contributors and not endorsed by anyone apart from themselves. Before we go, I did want to issue a little disclaimer. Not everyone can get vaccinated. There are a myriad of health reasons that would mean someone cannot get vaccinated. Not that they're choosing not to, but that they can't. Our conversation was not in any way reflective of those who are unable to be vaccinated. When we were talking about unvaccinated people, we were almost always talking about those choosing not to get the vaccine.